podcast and today we have noah bonk and ryan condon from koolau guitar and ukulele thanks for joining us guys so yeah and um you know we also have the regular crew joel blessinger and zach shimizu okay so anyways let's start off by just giving an introduction basically koolau's been in production now for a little over 20 years and Noah's been doing it from the beginning. So um, Noah, why don't you start us off and, and just tell us uh, about your history with uh, guitar and ukulele making. Um, the history of guitar and ukulele. No, no, yours, <laughs> like, you know, how did no, you, I you know, start? Like no, from the, um, so grew up in a shop, just doing small stuff, cleaning tuners, doing that kind of thing, um, helping out, sweeping when we were or when I was very young. Um, but as far as a building aspect, it wasn't until high school that I built my first instrument. But at that point, I was already doing minor repairs. Um, and then we started, it was a lot more guitars and other instruments uh, at that point. It wasn't until we moved back to Hawaii that the ukuleles, uh, the demand for an ukulele really took off. And that's why we started building ukuleles. Hmm. So before that, um you were mostly doing like warranty work or yeah, maybe half and half? It was about half and half or probably actually a little bit more warranty work. We were authorized for Martin, Taylor, Fender, Gibson, all the major, and then um, just did other people's stuff too. So that was the majority of it. I think at the height of it, we were probably doing around over 100 neck sets a year. Um, so it was pretty busy and then uh, we were building on the side also a lot of mainly guitars things like dreadnoughts triple o's and uh, things like that did you play the instruments um back then and in like high school time you were working on but like did you did you play at all yeah i mean i i think both me and andrew had guitar lessons around the same time in fact we had the same classical teacher I remember at one point he was kind of like that hippie new age guy with the waterfall in his studio yeah and I think Andrew went before me and I was after him but that that I remember one of my first lessons he like put on Metallica or something and he's like and then he put on a classical piece he's like you see how they're the same and he was trying to get me excited about classical (laughs) music and stuff yeah He, he definitely uh had the stereotypical hippie dude (laughs) so yeah I mean I I took lessons played um, I was never as serious with it as Andrew was I think Andrew always had that more natural talent as far as playing music it wasn't something I ever aspired to be like a top-notch musician it was more or less just something I had fun with in fact I remember the teacher after that the guy who was writing songs for uh, Garth Brooks Oh. He was, uh, I remember he was giving us lessons and he told us that you'll always just play guitar on your porch in a rocking chair and Andrew will be like rocking on stage. Uh, well, I guess I failed. <laughs> <laughs> you knew the guy who wrote songs for Garth Brooks? Yeah, he was. Uh, was that the guy that um, got carpal tunnel and had to stop 
playing, or is that was a different? No, you remember he was the guy that uh, what's the Canadian guy that always? Oh yeah, he was all into Gordon Lightfoot. Gordon Lightfoot, yeah. like that was like every lesson was a Gordon Lightfoot song. Yeah, which made Dad happy. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, he wrote. Him and his brother were songwriters, and Garth Brooks, I guess, made a couple of their songs. I'm not yeah. gonna lie, that takes a lot of steam out of Garth Brooks for me. <laughs> I thought he had the. I thought he was just cranking him out himself. All right. You doing all right there, Ryan? You seem a little uncomfortable with your microphone. Is it? Thumbs up. Okay. Cool. So tell us uh, about how you got into this. Um, I just didn't know what to do after high school, and I didn't feel like spending a lot of money on college when I didn't know what I wanted to do. So there was a guy probably 20 minutes from where I grew up who was a guitar builder and I just went and asked for a job one day when I was I guess I was 19 well that sounds real inspirational so yeah <laughs> I mean you must have looked him up you must have wanted to do it right I just thought it would be a cool job oh okay okay I mean I played guitar so tell us about him uh his name's Ron Pinkham and he builds classical and uh steel strings and he also runs a, a repair business in Maine and uh, he taught me most so of what I know. How long did you work for him? Uh, 10 years. So I did a three year apprenticeship and then continued working for him for seven years after that. How much of that was building? Um... Most of it was building. Uh, it depended on what we needed to do to pay the bills. <laughs> all, <coughs> At various times. All like standard classical style building? Um, no. He did the, he, you know, kind of updated the process uh, just based on what he thought was better than. But, you know, uh, you know a, a nylon string acoustic, but what, with different style bracing and stuff? Uh no, like he didn't he didn't do the um the integral neck the you know where the neck and the uh I was like mortise and tenon or yeah he did a well he did a dovetail tenon with a dovetail on the bottom hmm. um, and then on the steel strings he would bolt that in and on the classicals he would glue it in somewhere along the line you started doing arch tops too right yeah again I, I just thought they looked cool and I wanted to try to build one so and he let you do that in his shop mm-hmm and and they were sold as his guitars or what no I just, oh it was just like an extra yeah I just on my off time I built them I got um, one yeah Zach bought one thank you so thanks to Andrew <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a killer guitar are you building more archtop guitars right now? I think I see one down there in your area. Yeah, I got the. Uh, I have two in various states at the moment. Uh, one a little farther along than the other, but one koa, one koa and spruce top, and then uh, one maple with a spruce top. Cool. So you guys both know how to build guitar and ukuleles. What would you guys just, if you had to pick one model to? keep building because you love building it is there a model or a size or something that you actually enjoy more than another 
at the side of building because you guys can build all any type of size ukulele or, or a type of guitar so it's like what would you do if you just had to build your own stuff i guess I mean, I enjoy building a tenor more than a concert and a soprano. <laughs> Why? It's just because it, it's... As it gets smaller, it gets harder to work or build? Yeah, I guess. I just don't like the soprano or concert sound. It's just not my cup of tea. And so um, a, a tenor just feels like you get so much more out of it, so I enjoy building it more. Mm. Um, typically, people who order sopranos in concerts too they want something very traditional as far as uh, the sound right um, so probably a tenor for me I'm not gonna choose to build a concert or a soprano if I have to but yeah what, what would you I mean you do build your own stuff but I mean like do you enjoy uh, building like one specific thing a lot more than something else um, no, no. <laughs> it just depends on what I feel like doing. Um, you guys strike me as like really like practical. I don't know. Like y you're kind of like I'll build whatever people are wanting us to build. Kind of an attitude. Would you say? Uh, no. Oh, <laughs> well, well, no. I, mean, I don't. I don't think that's Within, practical. Oh. But. I mean, to me, practical is like uh, I'm not trying to do something so crazy that it's going to take me two days to figure out just how to do some joint uh, yeah. on it. I'm, I meant more like a within the line that you offer. Yeah, I mean, there's certain places that I draw the line. I mean, I, I still want it to be my instrument. Uh, we get a lot of people that come in that want us to build someone else's instrument. Uh, and I and I don't do that, right? Because if if you want my instrument to look like or be built like someone else's, you should go buy theirs. You shouldn't <laughs> buy ours. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> but that it is does a, happen, that's though. a very common request, I think, for a lot of luthiers. Yeah. Can you build us one, and then they send you a picture of somebody else's? You <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like like, uh, no, I get those from you yeah. all the time, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, it was worth a shot. I thought you told him I would ask. I wonder if custom people think whatever I want, <laughs> whatever I want, <laughs> whatever I want. Yeah, but a custom is a custom of whatever that company is. You don't walk yeah. into Audi and say, "Hey, I really like Mercedes rims, <laughs> so can you put that on my Audi?" <laughs> yeah, gotcha. So you uh, were talking about how you were doing repairs there for a while. Um, that, that had to kind of play a part in, in designing the construction of Coal House? Or, I mean, would you say so? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Like uh, doing a lot of repair work, you see how instruments fail over time. Um, maybe some things that didn't work out so good that you necessarily won't do on your own instrument. Um, you can also hear a lot of good instruments when you repair. A lot of instruments come through the shop. So you hear like really nice instruments and those are the ones that you can look at and see, well, what did they do on this? What were the thicknesses? Study Things the like in that. inside and Yeah, you get that. to see a lot of inside of instruments. So it helps you and it helps you refine your skills because uh, I mean, I feel like it's definitely harder to repair someone else's work than to just start from scratch. So you have to um, become very patient when you do repair work. 
<laughs> when what you do I repair, do? you get a you get an appreciation for hide glue. <laughs> yeah. Why yeah. so? <laughs> because it's it's repairable. You can just wash it off, and if you know if you've got somebody just slathered type on all over the inside, or like God forbid, epoxy or something like that. It's just a mess, or like Gorilla Glue or something like that. Yeah. With it's, those, it's kind of like forget about it. Almost yeah, like. and with hide Type you know, Bond, you can still work. You just got to sand it all off and all. But with hide, you, you, as long as the as it's not like. Sometimes you'll get old guitars where the the hide is just like stinky and kind of rotten. That you'll have to wash out. But other than that. You like, guys still use um, tight bond on some of the parts. Is it completely hide glue now? For the only thing that I use uh, tight bond on is on my end block, and then I also use it. I use uh, epoxy to put the fingerboard onto the neck because uh, I like the fact that it doesn't introduce any water, and I won't get any reverse bow, and it's just. Uh, I just like the way it comes out, so I do that. So epoxy for the fingerboard on the neck, uh, braces, bindings, uh, bridges, everything else is all high glue. That's been a few years now, huh? maybe five, almost five years, something like that. Yeah, for a while. What other aspects of the Colt Allows have evolved since it started 20 years ago? Um, I think just the looks, probably the, a lot of the decorative stuff. Because when we first started making the ukuleles, um, it was either people had a Martin or they had a Kamaka. There wasn't a whole lot of other small builders like there are now. And so the request that we had was a, for a very traditional looking instrument. They either wanted Alcoa or all mahogany. And it was very hard to get people to do, do spruce or cedar or redwood top. That was just not unheard of. So when you look at our older instruments, they have like more rope binding and purflings. Uh, much more vintage looking like the through saddle everybody wanted a through saddle with a pin bridge on an all mahogany instrument martin a martin yeah, yeah. or they wanted a, a tie bridge on an alcoa which is a kamaka now at that time martin wasn't even making uh, yeah making? they had stopped at that point they were i think they were only making the soprano but that was like in the mexico factory right 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 so <clears throat> that was the thing and and when we were started making, there was a few builders, like there was Bob Gleason who was doing some custom work. There's a few other guys, but it wasn't like it is now. And so people would come in and want a uke because, oh, my Martin is broken or I don't want to take it out anymore. Can you make me a replica? So that's a lot of our older instruments look like those instruments as far as woods and even traditional body shape. And then over time, we stopped using um, Ivroid or tortoiseshell binding, and we went to all wood. Um, I, I guess for us, we wanted to build something that was of higher quality than anybody else was making at the time. We kind of wanted to be like a boutique instrument. I mean, that wasn't a word back then, but you know, something for a professional um, that was high quality. Is it boutique or boutique? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> educated. So is Ryan Conan the game changer for Cola? <laughs> well, in the finished department, for sure. <laughs> and the archetype of ukuleles. No, I mean, we've gone through a bunch of different versions of, of uh, 
finishing things. Hey, so, don't talk any crap about me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's crazy that someone like Ryan coming from strictly classical and steel string guitar and coming to a little rock in the middle of the sea. <laughs> well, what, were you were you doing nitrocellulose over there? I mean, I know. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Because a lot of classical builders are just like French polish, right? But uh, Yeah, we did French polish too. Um, the Only the real high-end stuff got French polish because it's a lot more expensive. Your finish is like, uh, I, I'd say like the most perfect I see in, I mean, you know, up among the very top tier of uh, guys doing nitro. Um, is there any, like, I guess, tips that you could give to other builders to reach that level of perfection? Uh, it's just, you gotta pay attention to what you're doing. Um, you know, you just gotta, catching catching flaws early on as opposed to when you're buffing it out right and um you know you have to get you have to get a a system down because you don't know like kind of how thick it is unless you go through (laughs) Mm -hmm. at which point it's too thin um so you have to just know that you know you kind of have to go through a few times to know that all right, well, I, maybe I need to spray one more coat or maybe I can get away with spraying a couple less coats and then you go through and then you say, nope, <laughs> I can't. Um, but, you know... Some of the stuff that comes through, uh, I mean, my thought when I first look at it is like, I don't know, like they need to clean their gun more or something. There's like a lot of UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it definitely, um, it definitely helps to actually buy a quality gun rather than there's a lot of cheap guns that you can buy um, from I don't know a couple of the luthery uh, places where you buy stuff from, and um, I mean, I I went and bought a like a a Devilbus touch-up gun which works great um it atomizes really well um it sprays consistently there's no like suction leaks or anything um and as long as i keep it clean it keeps spraying great i can spray color with it um but well What's like the biggest, because you guys see all the instruments that come into us too, you guys get to check them out and see from all the different builders and brands and everything without, you know, not calling anybody out, but it's just things that you've noticed, the things that you have noticed, either whether it's finished problems or like things maybe you don't dis, uh, you wouldn't have done on one of your instruments or just seeing what other people are doing, does that influence at all how you guys move on or is it basically like you kind of feel like you got it down this is the right way to do it for you guys or do you pick up on things that you decide to change and improve or experiment with or anything to try and find something that might work even better than what is now as far as finish goes I just have my standard um I I don't really care what anyone else does um 
What kind of finish is it? Nitrocellulose? Yeah. That's ever, for every single one. What brand are you guys using yeah. now? Yeah. We use the Cardinal lacquer. Yeah. No, you... we don't change finish. Like, we are what we do. I mean, there's a million people that do a different, spray different things. Mm-hmm. But that's the one thing that I think, like, once you get that down, you just don't change it. Mm-hmm. it it's hard enough. And I, and I think what, for Ryan, what makes him so good is that he has an awareness. And, like, if you're a finish guy, you have to be aware. Like, you can't be daydreaming in there thinking about something else and and that's it's a skill and you have to be able to recognize like hey it's not working you stop but the nice thing about nitro is that it is uh you can work with it you can touch it up you can spray over it it and that's one of the reasons why i feel or i've chosen that we stay with that and i think i don't think ryan would want to spray anything else yeah. Is there like a like how long is it uh, in the Luthery world? Like how long is it supposed to take once it starts finishing? Like you, when you take over the finishing process, is there is there like a this is supposed to take four to five days or blah blah blah? I mean, depending on how many ukes you got in front of you. But if you were to just do one, about is there a standard time? It's about it's about two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, the first week is spraying sanding back spraying sanding back um it takes about a week to get to the final final coats um and then you let it cure for a week and and it's it's within this week uh is that awareness going on the whole time because each step is as important as the last when you're doing this or is it kind of like only specific parts you got to concentrate towards no it's um I mean, yeah, you have to pay attention. Like, the more things you catch the earlier on, Cause the all, easier it is. all I see is a gloss finish, which I see. It's just shiny. Yeah, every, you know? every coat needs to be laid on at, in the right amount, you know, so that it's going to give the right amount of coat and gas off properly and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. I mean, like, you have to pay attention to how close the gun is to the instrument your your flow rate from the gun like um so these you know, those are all those little things that add yeah. up so yeah you, get, you gotta our, do a good job yeah it comes down to a good job yeah yeah win some experience and do a good job that's your instructional book yeah okay guys he, pay attention teaching classes on the weekend for any other builders <laughs> that want to come here's his home address and the phone number <laughs> no but the thing too with Colau is that we do a different finish than a lot of other ukulele builders as far as the process goes. Um, In what way? We we do it more like, um, I would say, the standard guitar finishes, where a lot of guys, I don't know, if the, a lot of people call it the Hawaii finish, where like they'll just spray a couple coats. There's no buff out. There's no wet sanding. There's no pore filling. You know, you see a lot of instruments where you can Open still pour. see the pores. Yeah. So maybe even a, the micro scratches. So we're going through the whole process of sealing, filling, uh, spraying, wet sanding, buffing out. So you do have a very thin, but trying to get that poreless finish like you see on a high-end guitar. Right, right. And it's it's un, it's, it's a subtle thing that I've only picked up on within the last few years as, as far as uh, the finish. Because 
I just see something gloss and I think it's all the same. Like it's, I think it's no big deal to get that part done. You know, that was my understanding. But uh, the more and more I learn about building and, and seeing just you, you know, how long it takes to just put gloss on an instrument, I'm like, geez, you know, it's a lot more than I totally thought about. But uh, props, I guess, to Ryan. Out of everyone too, like when we get yours to get them ready to send out, it's rare I find more than that. maybe a fingerprint, someone holding it. That's Corey. Like, yeah, <laughs> half the time it's from someone else handling it. But even that, like, it's kind of ridiculous, like how meticulous there's not. I don't know if I've ever seen a finish issue from you guys in years. It's the two A's, awareness and anal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes Joel happy. <laughs> yeah, boy. Makes, makes my life happy and easy. In in that same regard, but towards more like the building, I, I see in um, in Noah's construction work an extremely precise uh, routing for bindings and purflings and rosettes. Um, is is there any like I guess advice you could give towards builders still kind of trying to get there, still getting blowout here and there, and you know. Um, not quite at that level beyond, you know, doing it every day for 20 years. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we love binding here in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? We're always in the search for the perfect binding cutter and uh, uh, bearing set and just the whole setup. But I, I think it starts with just from the beginning. Um, if you have a good mold, if you have a good bender, because if you're trying to put binding on sides that aren't straight or they're all uh -huh. warped or you know like you're already starting off in the hole so it starts with there but also just um and what is that in just um taking more time when you're making your yeah side bending machines in your mold yeah when you mold when you bend sides bending sides is an art so when you can get that down it, it really helps as far as cutting the binding also you got to know the wood like certain woods you can't just hog out right away um, and then having good cutters and and um, uh, jigs set up to help you because I mean your tools make a big difference I think we use what three different binding jigs in the process that we use yeah. the other thing too is for us we use wood binding so it's a it's a lot harder you have to have that channel cut real nice you, you know, with um, plastics or tortoiseshell. Yeah, it'll like contort to whatever. Yeah, you can contort. I mean, you can bind an instrument, and I could do a whole instrument in 15 <laughs> minutes easily, where with the wood binding, it's it's like two hours to, to bind the instrument. You know, so you have to have your binding cut right. You and you're to, bending it on the same. Yeah, you have to bend it right, and then you have to cut it. So for us, we have like, I have one cutter that's just set up for the top just for the top binding, one cutter set up just for top purfling. Um, and then with the back, there's two different cutters too that I use. So with that in mind, as far as tools, um, what, uh, I guess, suppliers do you guys prefer? Um, or is there a, a number of different ones? Or do you guys mostly get your, your tools from a, a certain um, supplier? Um, I think we get it from whoever has the best thing that 
we can find at the moment. <laughs> so for for like, I mean, we use LMI, Stuart McDonald, Ace Hardware Store, <laughs> <laughs> Woodcraft, uh, you know, different places like that. And then there's specialty places now too, like Luthier Tool. They make these jigs that we've got a couple from there. There was even a customer to uh, another builder in Oregon. He worked for a chainsaw company. He helped build our um, our rosette cutter, which really helped out a lot because he's a machinist. So custom made it. For yeah, years. if you know a machinist, <laughs> become very good friends with them, treat them well, and then uh, bring them cookies or something. Yeah, <laughs> because a machinist is a luthier's best friend. What about woods? Uh, woods we get uh, from all over too. I just got a whole shipment of uh, whoever's cheapest. Yeah, <laughs> which is not anybody anymore. Wait, what about the yeah. guys from Nam? <laughs> so I got uh, some Indian rosewood in from India. I just went directly to the mill, which is a pain in the butt, but it came out a lot cheaper. And um, you resaw it? Yeah, no, that one came in sets already. Oh, cool. Because if you try and bring in raw lumber. It takes it into a different um, oh, import right. category, and they it's just a lot harder. So we've gotten some of that. A lot of our redwood comes um, from Upper Sonoma County. There's a guy who cuts our sinker redwood. He sends me billets. Bruce Harvey up in uh, Washington, I get some spruce and cedar from him. Did you him. ever use those sets that Dave Sigmund sent? I did. That was on the, the one that you just sold. Oh, okay. That sinker nice. redwood. Yeah. Hey, I saw you working with Torrified Spruce now. I mean, we uh, we haven't gotten one yet, but <laughs> why are you laughing, Ryan? Is that a joke to you or something? Is that you think that's just hype or what? What's going on? I don't know. We'll see. Okay. No, I mean, I just got it. A lot of people, I saw it at NAM. A bunch of people have been using it, so I just decided the, wait, to Wait, what's try the it. talk behind the spruce? Magical spruce or something? No. It's they put it in the oven. They cook it. You know, the best-sounding canard we had had that as a top. Wait, why do they cook the wood? They're they're or trying to age it, basically. <laughs> so Wait, so from so what sounds pot? more open right off the bat? Because the yeah, wood's already so, pre-aged. So as wood Take, ages, it like the resins inside kind of solidify, and it becomes stiffer hmm. and, and lighter as the you know the volatile or organic compounds leave the wood <laughs> but you don't quite buy into this to, ryan is a skeptic um, on everything on literally mm -hmm. everything well at least he has good awareness <laughs> ryan would only build with brazilian rosewood and european spruce if in his, his standard world uh, Not, <laughs> bob taylor like had a lot cuban. of good stuff to oh say and about cuban mahogany and cuban mahogany Brazilian Cuban mahogany and European spruces. And not the Brazilian we got around nowadays. That stuff's crap. Isn't there like some rosewood that's just, I mean, ridiculously close to Brazilian for, you know, much less of the cost? I, mean, I some love of the last, Indian rosewood. The Madagascar. I think it sounds great. Guys, Indian? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Even the Indonesian that we've gotten from you guys before sounded great. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion... There's good wood and there's bad wood. And you can have a, a set of Brazilian, but it could be crap. I mean, there's a lot of guys that use a lot of flat sawn wood nowadays that I just don't agree with. 
And so to me, I'd rather have a, a good, good set of Indian rosewood over a flat on Brazilian wood. I mean, the Brazilian's right. going to sell right away and someone's going to pay a ton of money for it just because it's Brazilian, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a better piece of wood. I mean, you in can, my opinion. You can, you, can, you can buy one set of crappy Brazilian or you can buy 10 sets of really nice Indian rosewood. Mm-hmm. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> but the customer wants uh, that wants Brazilian has their mind made up a lot of times. Oh, yeah. yeah. No? But it's kind of like that thing we were listening to is that if people think it's better then in their mind when yeah. they buy that instrument they're going to be happier because they already feel that way about it you know it, it it has that psychological effect on them it's brazilian it's better right it doesn't really matter if it actually sounds better mm-hmm. it is better <laughs> <laughs> they should start calling indian brazilian <laughs> it would sound twice as good it would so you know speaking of that as far as flats on wood that you see uh, builders using. What what else do you see builders? What else get, what else gets your guff? <laughs> <laughs> this is way more interesting. No names, but what really what what gets you? What what's common flat? Come you on, you, you, you guys look at all the stuff coming through. Yeah, we know what you got. Or at names. least a lot of it. Um, Dish it. <laughs> uh, people builders who get ahead of themselves. Elaborate. Mm-hmm. Ambiguous. Um, I think a lot of builders see the crazy stuff that like a lot of the, uh, you know, top end builders make. You mean like trying to be like Matsuda when you're like building for a year or something? Yeah. Right? Um, but like a lot of that stuff that's in the magazines and like that they bring to shows a lot of those guys, I mean, Matsuda, Michi, he he only builds that stuff, I guess. But a, a lot of them, he builds they a only, lot of crazy stuff. Well, he builds yeah, but that's what yeah. he like. But a lot of the guys who make this like crazy stuff, they make one for a show, and then most of their stuff is like a normal guitar. But the crazy stuff is what gets in the magazine, and everybody goes, "Oh my god." And then these, uh, I think builders see that, and then they try well, to do that on every single you know, instrument. Get creative, and but but they haven't done the the hundreds of guitar, just normal miters, and it's kind of know. like do like a, a painter that's gonna try to do like some abstract thing before they can actually draw a face or something. Or. Yeah, I mean it's it's. The guitar has to be functional too. Yeah. <laughs> or the uke. Well, have you ever tried building anything out of your ordinary like I don't know standards? Like, have you ever tried exceeding something or like? Because those guys, they're out of the. They did do that one out of the box. Do you have? Did you have one that was like kind of like? When was the last time you were out of your comfort level? I just did an arm bevel and. <laughs> haven't really done many of those um, i like the different uh like what is the the one down there that's that's like um got the 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 long purfling strip going down the fretboard with uh the indentions like where the five seven ten, oh uh, yeah like the box kind of purfling yeah in yeah but i guess well, do you think about 
building anything else other than what you're building as far as now like do you have like do you see like ideas in your head or think about what you can do and like because like builders like what was the guy's name Michi. Uh, oh, Michi. Yeah, some of the stuff I've seen that Ty showed me. I mean, it's definitely crazy. I mean, but oh, yeah, he but looks like someone like who's <laughs> obsessed with maybe a tone or a sound or uh, I don't know. But are you obsessed or are you, do you think about building like uh, when you clock out and go, I mean, is that something in your head? Like, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think about it all. I think about, you know, my instruments all the time. Um, I mean, I've got, I've got designs, but I, it's just not my, I like stuff that's cleaner. Well, you're, you're experimenting for the first time with a lattice bracing right now, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Just, Um, just to see. That's more on the inside. Like, I mean, just as far as like. Functionality is the most important thing to you. Sounded good first. I like, I like beautiful wood and then I like simple like kind of elegant what do you things think, that accentuate that rather than like inlaying a, a lady on the back or something <laughs> I don't know well that's an art that's that's different well that that's what I kind of wanted to get well, to if it's no, like but an I, art form like it's building an art form in itself well right I mean um yeah, but there's guys who like simple art and there's guys who like totally out there and then there's also guys who want to make a living selling art right. or trying to make a living selling art <laughs> you know I right. could I could go down there and like oh this is a cool idea but if it doesn't sell then you're just right so it's it's a starving it, artist it's exactly so it's almost like this way you get to be a starving artist in a way I mean, but not really what we do is a little different than just like pure art because our art has to function it has to sound good like you know a painting has to look good and has to look cool but that's only on perspective right Right. Um, just like sound whereas our instruments have to hold up for years Mm. and they have to be functional they have to you know we can't have Joel yelling at us because we got like five and a half action yep I'll do it too (laughs) I'll kick the door in so what, at what point is it um, art more more? I mean, well, I mean everything past the functionality. <laughs> but you can still have both, right? I mean, yeah, life is art, right? <laughs> it's like at a certain point, is just dumping gravy on it, and you guys don't want a lot of gravy. I'm not a big gravy fan. You want the chops, you want the steak, you want the potatoes, whatever it is. You can put a little bit of gravy, but you're not dumping it on there because you don't need it. Because that steak already tastes great. Exactly. Make a great tasting steak. You don't need the Maybe sauce. Maybe age it a little bit. Yeah. Medium rare. But that kind of goes with Joel's thing because he asked like, "What do we not like?" <laughs> and the thing is, like, I might not like that. I don't like the people that can't blow out their instruments. Like, why would you build this beautiful <laughs> instrument? You spend all that time doing all that crazy art. Okay, maybe it's not my thing. You have an air gun in your shop. Blow it out. Mm-hmm. Because I see so many instruments that are good instruments, but they come to you and it's like, why do you have six pounds of buffing and dust and everything in the instrument? It's it's like you going to buy a new car and you open it up and it's just filled with dirt from the factory. It's like, what? Yeah. what why? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it bothers me too. 
Finished. A buffing compound caked in everywhere, and there's oh, yeah. <laughs> dust and sawdust that have glued in underneath. There's little chips of wood. Sounds like a Morocco when you shake it around. Yeah, I mean, when you work here, it's like for Jeb and all the other people that have worked here, even Ty now, it's like that's one of the fundamental things I teach them. Be clean. Do clean work. You, you know, why, why do you go all the way and then just, you know, get your fingerprints off the brace. Little things like that. Yeah. That's what gets me. That's why I love <laughs> when I get yours. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people, you know, see a lot of the things because Joel's sitting there for like an hour plus just <laughs> trying to take care of those things. <laughs> That's really like what I am shooting for with the other ones is how you're, you guys already hand it to us for the most part. Like the biggest adjustment I remember making in yours was usually like, getting the action set to how we normally send them out because you guys send it higher, but that's because you get better sustain and like it's, it usually sounds better with higher action, but people expect a certain height from us and you've even kind of adapted that a little bit when you know it's gonna come to us. Yeah. But Joel it's not and really I got like into any... an argument once about what two and a half was. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> no, but see, like, yeah, you guys have a different standard, but for me, unless I talk to that individual and I know what they are going to play and the the other thing too is like I le- like to leave a little bit of room because a lot of the customers get it and they change strings mm-hmm. and it's always easier to go down than to have to send it back yeah. to me to make a new nut and saddle because it was set up for this string super low and then they change it and then it's just not going to work so I tend to set it a, a little bit higher but I try and get to you guys at what you guys want yeah I mean and that's usually why most factories or builders will I mean it's sometimes when they'll set it higher is because you need a little bit of leeway for what you know especially yeah. I mean production line ones and everything but even higher end ones leave some leeway to make an adjustment if you need to or for whatever the customer is going to do to it or modify once they have it they don't want to get it change the strings and then it's like well, this isn't playing right it's buzzing it's like well you, ch- you totally changed what we would have done if we knew you were going to use those strings. So speaking of, of that, you know, as far as strings go, uh, Colel uses um, a, a nylon string set or, you know, that I, I guess it's only two different sets at this point in time right now. I don't know. Are you guys still making the colds or it's no. kind of like on hold, right? So there's basically two different uh, nylon sets and both of them have a, like a really warm tone. Both of them um, sound really good. But I, I notice you do get like a little bit more of that uh, clarity maybe and a touch more volume with certain fluorocarbon sets. Um, but what's your, what's your thoughts on that as far as like, have you ever considered, you know, changing the strings to that? I mean, to me, like, um, the Colau set is going to be warmer than those. So it's like each kind of have their own, you know, just different sound that they're going to affect the instrument. And, you know, some people are going to like one and some people are going to like the other. But um, have you have you guys played with a lot of different sets and considered changing it? Uh, you know, you're from the factory set. Um, we've tried millions and millions of strings we get samples constantly from different people for me i think the key is like you said it's what you like is what you like and for me i picked the alohi set to put on all the colo production model 
because I like the way they sound. Um, they play truer than most other strings that I've found, and it's just easier that way. And and that's the way it is. I, I think there is a trend now. A lot of people are going to very very thin strings, which you never saw that before. And I just I don't like that sound. So well, it's the nature of, of fluorocarbons. They're more dense, so to get the same amount of tension, it's going to be a thinner string. Yeah, it, it just doesn't sound like the instrument's at its full potential. Not as meaty. Yeah, and that's that's just not my thing. Speaking of steak. Yeah. Beefy. <laughs> it's just not my thing. Wait, so that's my feeling on strings. What do you mean by true, true, truer? Like, like less intonation problems you know a lot of strings will get a kink maybe at the nut mm. or even at the at the saddle sometimes if you as you're doing a setup and you maybe loosen stretch the string it. and or you stretch it and and I just found that the Alohis are less susceptible to that than the other strings that I've tried over the years so I like them for that much sturdy yeah Joel, you've probably changed a number of cola. I mean, you know, people put in their special instructions, their favorite set, and so on. On colas, you probably changed them to a number of different ones. Do you have any thoughts on the, you know, different sounds or issues as you go from the stock set to something else? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. Like the Alohias are my favorite set on them, on and and on the Ponos too, but. There are some, like, uh, South Coast set a couple times using that. It sounded good. It was set up to be, like, they were going to play it really gently and everything. So, um, because you couldn't really dig into it as much without, because the strings weren't quite as balanced as much, just, like, the thinner ones especially, um, just by their nature, and they couldn't handle as much, you know, weren't going to generate as much power, and you can't play as hard and everything. So depending on how you're going to play it and use it for, um, I kind of agree. I think like a nylon set just works best. It's most reliable for the intonation too because the other thing you run into with some fluorocarbon sets, especially on those, is was intonation issues that were pretty much solved switching back to um, one of the nylon sets. It just gives it a little more consistency and don't have as many of the balance issues that you find with fluorocarbon sets and that kinking and as the string stretches out and or you're tuning or doing the setup and everything you don't wind up with as many of those problems popping up and it it drives the sound a little bit more you get that bigger beefier warmer sound out of it but some people don't like that they want kind of like a crisp airy. precise airy sound to it rather than that you know something with a little more it's a little bit drier on the nylon yeah but you know fluorocarbon isn't rectified it varies along its length a lot of times and uh i don't you know i've noticed on quite a few sets lately too them needing to be switched out from shredding mm-hmm yeah so they... I, I, I had a customer who sent that we sent him an instrument and it was he got it he loved it he played it for two months he then decided the strings were too thick for him our gauges so he went to a fluorocarbon set and then he had intonation problems and he couldn't figure out why. And and one of the strings was actually shredding constantly on mm -hmm. him. Sent it back and we're like, sent okay. It yeah, we sent it back. We put our set back on it and it played perfectly true and fine again. 
Yeah. Sent it back to him. He was happy with it. Changed the strings again. And he's like, oh, no, now it's got issues. And I was like, well, what strings are you playing? So he tells me, he sends it back, and he needs those strings for some reason. So we had to specially intonate the saddle just for to compensate for those mm. strings. And and still, like Joel was saying, you, you can actually feel sometimes, like, there will be flat spots mm-hmm. on the string. It... it I'll, when I pull those the strings out, I'll grab it by one end and pull it all the way through, and you can feel every bump and crimp and thin area. So a lot of the times, especially when I'm also trying to pick an end to tie it down with, I'll base which end I'm tying to what end based off of how the string feels. Of what you know, if there's on one end of it, you can feel it. So that's going to be the slack coming out of the headstock. So I'll use it up there because I don't have to worry about it as much. But I don't. You don't really get that with n- nylon strings unless something got damaged or crumpled or something in the packaging. So it just cuts out a lot of that imbalance issues. The same thing that would happen with like the some of the synthetic nylon or the hybrid strings and stuff. It's it's just not as I don't know reliable. It's just like that stri- same thing, like that straightforwardness and simplicity of it tends to work a lot better and yours are also kind of designed with that in mind so switching to something else that was never really intended to work well for it and kind of has some inherent issues to itself it's you know i've had people say the same thing they got a call out from you guys they loved it but they switched strings and now they don't like it and that's kind of ruining the instrument for them do you guys draw the line uh, somewhere with that as well what do you mean well i mean you take custom orders as well and I mean that must you must have people that are like I want this certain set of strings on it right or yeah I just tell them I build with my string you you can change your string out I don't know that that the string thing kind of baffles me I'm not a string maker right but I just I just have never understood why people would use fishing line on an instrument like there's no you wouldn't take your tennis racket in and say hey can you string this up with fishing line because I like I don't know I mean String makers make strings for instruments. Fishing lines made for fishing. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you want to put it on, that's your prerogative. Go play a Tahitian uke, but play a Tahitian uke. They're not perfect. They were never meant to Yeah. play all that well, I don't think, either. They use all the <laughs> same gauges look. for all the different well, I, I don't know. I just, it's, it's not my cup of tea. I don't like the sound of those right, very right, thin right. fishing line strings, so I don't understand but fluorocarbon is only fishing line yeah that's what it's made for i mean i mean there's no string makers that are making fluorocarbon well they're buying it from companies that are making it in large amounts for fishing they can't make their own like how the string they can't produce their own fluorocarbon the string makers yeah they can i mean like the adario the the oh yeah titanium set oh no not not the titanium but um they make a classical set. They, they actually. I mean, yeah. Diodario does make a fluorocarbon set now. Make it for classical. Uh, are they making that in America with? Um, yeah, probably. Huh? No, but yeah, those, I mean, those strings just play better to me. Oh, I thought it was like the inconsistencies of how how, how fishing line was. I guess. Yeah, I mean, what is the standards for a fishing line? I don't, I don't think it's like it has to be perfectly true. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. They're but going they, on strength. From from my knowledge, they're not rectified. Yeah, it's whatever helps me get that marble. But I don't, I don't oh. know about the new Diodario sets. I don't, when I tried the new Diodario fluorocarbon, they were just way too thin for my oh. preference, which is why I didn't pick up 
the line for us to sell. But I mean, you know, I'm sure they're going to keep evolving and maybe at some point we will. Yeah. I wanted to ask you um, about body depths and, and your guys like uh, thoughts on that, because I know in the last couple of years, Noah, you've been experimenting with a number of different depths on your CS model. Is that uh, just to play around with the different tones that you're going to get or comfort thing? Or what were your thoughts behind that? It was actually, it started as a request from Joel's old boss who bugged me and bugged me. <laughs> <laughs> who, Music Guy Mike? Yeah. Oh. Because he, yeah. I, I don't know how that he tried started. to get everybody to make thin But bodies. yeah, he liked the, the sound of it and I kind of fought it for years and then um, I just decided to try it. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds different. I, I like the sound. It It's a much quicker response. Um, mm. It jumps out more. It kind of has that more arch-toppy kind of sound, I guess. I think I was inspired by Ryan coming to work here, <laughs> building the arch-top ukuleles. Have you done different depths on the arch-top? Uh, no, they've generally, I think they've been the same. Have you thought about it? No. Where'd you come up with that equation for the, was it based on the guitars that you had built? In uh, relation? Nachi sequence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the golden ratio. Yeah. Um, it, it just looked right. Looked right. Yeah. And it sounded good, so I didn't see any need to change it. Um, I mean, when you change, when you change the body depth and you don't change the the uh, the area of the sound hole you're you're changing the resonant frequency inside the body mm. and the RF the helm the helm holtz yes <laughs> um, and so I like to try to keep that as close to the to the same on every instrument as I can. So if, if you go deeper, then um, you just have to change the size of your sound hole. But yeah, I guess that would start looking weird. What about yeah. doing a flat top with an arch top pack? <laughs> Somebody does that. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, you they, know they do. Well, there's North there's Carolina. a number of different guys that do it with laminate backs, you know, because oh. it's just pressing. The no, there's oh, a no, guy uh, hand carved. Buscarino or Buscarino yeah. or, yeah, he does a, it's like a so classical. It pushes the sound out as it. Yeah. Huh? But do you guys have like Work favorite current it. builders that you like look for, like what they what they're doing, just to because like, you like, the, their style or their builds or. I mean, I think they're mm. doing what they want to do, but I, I guess a, a better question might be out of the ones that you've seen, what what do you think is, is uh, like, if you had to pick a builder other than your guys' selves, what, you know, what have you seen that you liked or thought was at least cool? If you were going to buy one <laughs> what, with your own money. I'm a luthier. I can't afford to buy an instrument. <laughs> let's, let's assume, oh, let's, let's assume you just... There you, it is. You, I wanted to bring that up. You had just cost. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay, um, so which call up model would you choose? <laughs> yeah. No, there's there's the things I like from a, a lot of different builders. There's a lot of builders that I respect. Um, 
if I, in my personal taste, if I had to pick one instrument to buy, um, I, I like Toto's. Mm. I th- it's a very simple instrument. He's not over the top with anything. Some of his gets pretty uh, out there, like his alien model and stuff. Well, I never oh. saw that. Yeah, but I, I think he only does that in guitar, right? I no, no, he, he he does ukulele. Oh, he does a yeah. U- oh, I haven't seen. I've that. seen a few. Oh, d- yeah. Well, not firsthand, only in pictures personally, but. I the like, ones that have come to us were uh, more on the simple side, but it seems like a lot of people have copied him. Yes, a lot of people have. I, I like his stuff. Even it's Chinese simple. builders. I mean, yeah. I like Jake from Hive. I like he does really clean work. Yeah, uh, and um, Chuck is always like very beautiful instruments. Like you just look at them and more they're better. Like, just pop. So you know those, and even like I like. Some of Jeb's instruments, I, I like the fact that he used to work for me, and I look at him now, and I see the evolution of his instruments over time, and um, how they progressed, and so it, it's kind of satisfying yeah, seeing yeah, that. Yeah, I, f- I feel like there's a part of Kola in Jeb's. You know what I? Oh, it's like totally. <laughs> he learned from yeah, no. Well, but it's 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 different. But he's getting closer. But I, I, you to, feel and, the Kola in uh, yeah. Jeb. Yeah, I think we're all influenced by. I mean, I think Ryan influenced me since he's got here. You know, I think like when wow, I thought you guys just put up with each other. You actually inspire each other too. <laughs> well, I hope to someday <laughs> retire with him. You know, get a s- small RV and just travel du- around. Travel around. Imagine you guys in like a duplex, yeah. and then he would be at the bottom with the broomstick hitting the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> hope to you know just go on cruises together and drink wine. And <laughs> but luthiers make not enough money. Huh? Yeah. So we'll just cruise around Wahiwa on our bikes. <laughs> and then come back to work. <laughs> and then yeah. come back to work. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you've, you've learned some from nice everybody. things about Hoffman's before. Yeah. You know, the, um, I forget where, Missouri or something like that he's mm-hmm. building. But he does really unconventional style stuff, you know, oh, like yeah, his yeah. neck, body joints and stuff. I like to look at everybody's work. You know, even Casey's, his custom stuff. I like yeah. to look at everybody. I think... I don't know. I, for me, I think you can learn from everybody. There's something that somebody does that learn and, what not to do and what to do. Yeah, not to do and what to do, <laughs> and you can make it your own. And and I think the good luthiers do that. They make the things that inspire them their own. And I I think that's maybe what Ryan was talking about earlier. There's a lot of people that just copy. Just you got to find out what you do, what makes your ukes different, you know. And that's and that's important. Otherwise, you're just copying somebody. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like you you look at a lot of these guys, and it looks like they're just going so far out of the box, or you know, I mean, they're wildly creative. But you show it to a real luthier, and they're gonna be like, "Oh, well, yeah, that's you know, this guy and and that guy." I mean, even a lot of the stuff that's um, different still is kind of a take on this other guy's. I mean, you guys are more of classic. simple beautiful lines and designs just executed as well as it can be and uh, I think for a lot of I mean the thing is the the uke is a small instrument already if you start getting like too adorned or like you know your purflings get too wide and your uh, you know all kinds of scrolling and fancy stuff it depends I mean you know there's certain guys that can pull it off but a lot of times it, it can tend to look a bit too busy right yeah proportions I think that's a big thing mm. when you see these new builders I don't think they know the proportions yet like really big guitar binding 
on a small ukulele to me doesn't look good or a huge rosette yeah <laughs> the rosette's like getting close to the <laughs> yeah, edge of the waist it's like a quarter of an inch <laughs> it, between it, the rosette it's and the, not proportionate and the anymore so you had mentioned ty earlier this is just recently you guys um you know you you guys have a lot of demand for your instruments you're about a year back ordered now and so um you know you weren't i guess that actively looking um because you'd already kind of gone down the road of trying to hire a number of people if you, you know a number of years back and i know Noah, you were just too frustrated trying to get them to fall in line um up to your standards ty uh, does have a background in building. He built with Rebecca for a while, building, you know, all the different stuff that Rebecca builds. And then he worked at LMI with Woods a lot and stuff. And um, his enthusiasm is like through the roof. I mean, <laughs> dude, guy is like, I mean, he's all about it. So that's all, you know, really cool. But how has it been? working with him this short time now that he's coming. I, I'm sure you've got him doing a lot of grunt work at this point and stuff, but I mean, I don't know if that's how you want to put it, but um, yeah, what's the experience with, with Ty Rivera been so far? It's been good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been told I'm a hard teacher and a strict guy, um, but I think for Cole out from the beginning, I want our standards to stay the same and that's why it's hard hiring people because their standards aren't always the same and to get them to have that awareness so ty has a lot of enthusiasm he came in uh, gung-ho which i truly appreciate he has a lot of um understanding maybe of the process but not necessarily the refined skills um to our standards yet so we're He's, he's getting there, and which I can appreciate. Busting his balls. Yeah, I can appreciate that he's a very humble, and he can admit, like... Um, and he's told me a number of times just how appreciative he yeah. is to have this opportunity to learn from you guys. I mean, like, he, he mentioned a, a month or so after he'd been here for a while, he said, like, I realized that I really didn't know as much as I thought I knew. I didn't really have the background that I thought I had because your guys' standards, whether it's Ryan's finishing or the building process, is higher than anybody I've ever worked for. And so he, he's, I appreciate that he was humble enough to admit that and then, in a sense, kind of start all over again learning the way that we want to do things because there's our process and there's another builder who has his process. So yeah, I, I can appreciate that. And he's coming along. He's, he's gotten... Um, really good at a lot of different things and um, for me it's like I like to just give somebody something and then see what their abilities are and you can learn a lot too about somebody has he has he done anything where you had to like <laughs> I, I remember one time like having to trash a neck or like one time I even let a body on like a expensive you uh, while buffing it go and just smash into people. any any uh casualties so far um we've had some do-overs <laughs> or some that's not acceptables um but yeah you know i mean that's always going to be the case and he's humble and he and he's he, he's learning what my standards are we have a sign that says ty be aware 
And, and I think that's a big thing. You, you just can't do, you can't just sand. You have to know what your purpose is, what you're trying to achieve. Um, there, there is no... Um, cruise part. Yeah, there's no cruise part. There's nothing in the, our in our shop that you can just zone out on. Yeah. Really? I mean, not yeah, even you, sending through a thickness No, sander. not at all. Oh, like, okay. that's... People cannot send th- stuff it's through very, a thickness sander. very sand. underrated skill. It being is. Being able to thickness sand. It is. It, it's not as easy as, as it looks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's something that I, me and Ty have... Uh, okay. But, Do you but, put I the mean, belt on right? Okay. Do you turn okay. the air off when you're done? Do you flip the wood? Because this is not a... You know, we don't have a... $150,000 sander down there. So you have to constantly know the different types of wood, their their sand rates, um, all kinds of different things. And so, yeah, I mean, that's there is nothing that we do here that you can just zone out on. Yeah. You got to know your tools too, yeah? Like, after you've had a tool for a long time, it doesn't act exactly how it did if it's brand new or one someone else has. Yeah. So like, I mean, that's saying something too because Ty isn't new to this. Yeah. I mean, you're but not training somebody from the ground up, but I guess in a sense you are because your standards are just on a certain level and they've right. got to be there for every step, every single process of the way. Right. I mean, I ha- I still have a box, box and boxes of stuff from when we used to have more employees of that are just ruined tops, ruined backs, sides, necks. Bodies. Julie, Julie makes uh, earrings out of them. Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're just sitting in boxes as a reminder of why we don't have more employees. <laughs> oh, anytime you feel like, man, we need to start pumping it out. Oh, yeah. yeah, and and like Joel was saying, like you have to know your machine. Like if if you're running the sander and then all of a sudden it doesn't sound right, you got to stop. There's either the belt's bad or the airline hose. But it's amazing how people will just keep running that wood through there until they. Either completely ruin the back or the top or the sander. Something sounds weird. This is all well, I guess. It comes down to that awareness. Like, whoa, it didn't sound like the same. And the thing, too, is you can hear the wood. You can know, like, it's burning or we're taking off too much. Or Or you're getting ethereal. You, like, listen to the wood, don't you? (laughs) No, I know what you're saying. Something smells like it's burning. (laughs) Probably not good. Right, so it's it's, it's attention to detail at, at every step. And there is the list of details that go on with this one step. But then along with this one step, you got to make sure, you know, all these bullet points are marked off while doing this one step. It's not like, all right, I got it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, you know, the wood that we use costs a lot of money. Right. So to be able to trust someone with a, you know, $500 back and sides... It's like, you know, Noah can't just go out and buy those all day. Like, we have a limited number of those. And Noah's basically saying, here, I trust you enough to go sand this and not ruin it. And uh, <laughs> People you know, are replaceable, what is not. Exactly. <laughs> no, I always say, like, we can't grow a tree in here or we can't add to that. So once you've removed too far... It's done. It's trash. Double top. <laughs> double top. <laughs> well, we got and a whole box of double tops downstairs for those <laughs> who are looking for it. You guys should start popping out laminates. And Noah is actually really easy to work for. Huh. Um, 
Wait, what did you say? He he isn't, or no? He is really easy to work for, oh. because w- I thought once you were you, like cracking w- the whip. No, but it's all about having standards. Um, you know, no one knows that when he gives an instrument to me, that I have a certain standard that it's going to come out as. And you don't uh, have to wait for him to tell you that something needs to right. be redone. Yeah. And it's just about gaining that trust. He knows that if he gives me something, I might not do it exact like the process my process might not be exactly like his process, but he doesn't have to worry that I'm gonna screw everything up. <laughs> but Ryan's <laughs> the only one that's ever come here to work that had ability right off the bat that I didn't have to stand over or teach from the bottom up. Yeah, so I mean, like, Ryan can build from the ground up. Yeah, he came here with, like, set of skills already, yeah. He was Aaron Rodgers, you know, we just... <laughs> no, 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 don't even, don't even go there. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, Drew, Tom he's Brady. Drew, he's Drew Bledsoe. We're not trying to add to his <laughs> God complex are. or anything, but he, he does a good yes, job. Yes, I do call Ryan God. He likes to be called that. Must be hard. <laughs> well, you know, I like, mean... <laughs> The guy I learned from was <laughs> the guy that you know, oh, Ron. Ron, the the guy I worked from was, you know, very anal retentive. If I didn't do it so up to right his standard, I got yelled at. <laughs> but previous um, to that, was anything in your life that like, I mean, did you do things that would, you know? Well, no, because I've never had the. I'd never like. No, but not even working for guitar. I mean, other things in your life, I guess. Does that analness yeah. apply to other aspects of His lentil of your stew life? is the best. <laughs> Pretty much he wakes up and he's like, excellent. <laughs> yep. I got it. You already won. You could go right back to bed. You did it. They no, started I mean, off in kindergarten. You know, before that, I was in drawing. high school and I was, you know, just dubbing around. Yeah. I was pretty good at riding my bike all over the place. Yeah, yeah. He was in a rock band. A tool cover band. Ryan well, sung a lead in a tool cover band. Yes. Do you have any YouTube videos? Or that YouTube wasn't around yet. Oh, VHS, yeah. maybe? There's videos. I've seen them. <laughs> so YouTube doesn't tapes. exist in Maine yet. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have that. He's got a reel somewhere. Don't go looking. It's fine. I think they just got a they got a two-screen uh, two theater in that state a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Actually, the town I grew up in had a two-screen theater. Mine didn't have any. You know, it's just dawned on me that you guys are both, like, really healthy eaters you know i mean like i know like noah you um uh do the no uh, uh gluten now and and ryan you seem to always be eating healthy i don't know i'm just i'm trying to think if if maybe um you're still not eating gluten there was like has there been any studies on like luthery and um gut flora or you, you know i mean maybe if there's a, a certain diet that um maybe helps you be the best builder you can be you guys think maybe there's a connection i don't know beans (laughs) the guys do like mexican food on a friday (laughs) (laughs) no i don't know i mean i'm getting older so i got to take care of myself and uh i think as a luthier you're bent over a bench all the time oh yeah let's talk about back issues so (laughs) for me having when i used to have back pain that is the worst yeah i and so being hunched over, bent over, or sandy, doing repetitive things. I know for me, I've had shoulder issues in the past from like repetitive 
things at the works. So just trying to take care of myself so I can, when you're self-employed, you don't get sick days to just go do whatever you want. If the ukes aren't, you still find time to surf. I I hardly get to surf as much as I would like to. Uh, I think this last year was probably the least I've done in a long time. But that's, but I like to get in the water too because that just helps me totally relax and clean out the sinuses and uh, you get stress. You get back pain, Ryan? Mm, Not usually. Got that nice comfy chair back there. Yeah, you like to sit down and watch the Daily Show once. I mean, I just have a recliner back there, and I just just whenever just Noah comes in, I make it look like I'm working. And I saw a waterbed back there too. That was cool. Oh, my waterbed caught. You're, you had a well. It's like a water bunk bed. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's key. So, where do you guys see cola in twenty years? Twenty. Wow. <laughs> Going that far, <laughs> who knows about <laughs> Hawaii like, will have sunk by old. then. Twenty-year <laughs> 20 vision, that's we'll the underwater. By then, the scientists will have made like a microchip they can like put in like mediocre luthiers' brains <laughs> to make them like super luthiers, or, or maybe some like goggles that hook up to your software. To no, I'm just joking. Or it's just going to be I'll one be mold and you just put a in chip the in the office, and, and Taj will be downstairs yelling at Ryan to get it to work. <laughs> no, yelling at Lewin. Taj yelling at Lewin. <laughs> <laughs> Taj is Noah's son, Lewin is Lewin. Ryan's son. Cutest. Actually, probably my ever. daughter will be running the show, and <laughs> yeah, and the boys will be driving her crazy. Oh man, your son will just program everything. Into yeah, the, he's into a the computer CNC with. And we'll just be able to sit. <laughs> He'll make it like walk around and do things while it's cutting. <laughs> there you go. Have you guys kind of uh, through the years adapted more of the computer aided uh, processes that? You know, like some of these factories, that's like practically the majority of what's building these instruments at this point. But um, have you guys, I mean, uh, what what sort of stuff have you taken on through the years in that regard? Um, well, we got two little machines here, like little machines. CNC? Yeah. And Ryan's... So are they cutting your braces at this point and stuff like that? No. No. But Ryan, Ryan's much... He's really helped in that area because he's really smart with that programming stuff. But is it mostly the, for inlays, though? We, yeah, we do inlays, the simple inlays. We do um, the fretboards, the bridges. Um, that's what we're doing here right now. Yeah. And then we do have our neck uh, CNC'd at this point. Uh, Steve Carlson is doing that for us. Which is really nice because it cuts down a lot of handwork. Yeah. And you know, you carve out like. 10 necks a week and your hands feel it mm. yeah. just saves on the wear and tear over the years so I mean we but still have to put it to do on the necks you're still sanding it and dad was telling me you, you're gonna take that over though I mean I mean we would like to eventually but we're it's just slow steps are, are the machines big enough to handle a yeah. yuke neck yeah. yeah that's why we're waiting on my son Taj who's <laughs> <laughs> learning CAD this year <laughs> is he? yeah Dang, he's, he's, going like in, he's only going into freshman 13 year. 13 right? or something? Just getting no, out of 12th eighth grade. Eighth grade, but he's on the robotics team, so he's, he's uh, they have him learning CAD because the high school has their own CNC and water jet. And they build their own parts. Dang. Yeah, you got to keep him busy or he'll like, start building bombs or something. Again. Yeah, he already went through that. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Sixth grade. What are you doing, son? <laughs> building a bomb. 
<laughs> I learned on YouTube. <laughs> exactly. Dang that YouTube. Find anything on YouTube. Your son's uh, already cooler than it ever was. <laughs> he doesn't have a fanny pack like you did, though. I was just talking to Sandy last week about a fanny pack because I wear it all my pockets for all the stuff I carry. Yeah. I never lose anything. You would be a prime candidate. I burn through jeans like crazy because yep. of all the stuff in my pockets. Oh, fanny pack I could never do it. that. I've been making fun of Aaron for the last ten years. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess, um. You know, my final question you guys can follow up if you want would be, who's your favorite ukulele retail store? <laughs> Come on, don't make me edit this out. Of course, <laughs> Hawaii Music Supply. Yeah. I mean, those guys are so fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the ukulele Fishing. site is just, they're just a joy to work with, you know. <laughs> to come over and bother yeah you know they measure correctly and they smell nice and uh mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they just ha- they have great hair Jealous. and uh you know a chin-up bar mm. we gotta stay um, strong they, pff, fucking a Attaboy. Attaboy. <laughs> <It> said clean <laughs> I'd give no I, in all honesty though i i do appreciate all the stuff that you guys have done for the ukulele and, and hey man we I appreciate mean, you guys a lot of i think where the where you we know are now i, I say that you guys. because it's like we're coming over to you guys for all of these like I, I hit you up with questions like every other day because you know your your knowledge and experience is amazing and um we just get the craziest questions that i don't know a lot of times and and then i know like chris is coming over there with issues a lot of times where there's something on an instrument and he's just kind of like at a standstill like okay i'm either going to reject this but i'm going to show it to noah and ryan first and and you guys help us out a lot too and so that for us is like kind of the resource we don't really advertise behind the scenes but it's been great to have you guys as uh consultants and and more yeah I go over there all the time, ask you, ask you guys stuff. Ryan's even fixed stuff for us before. That was a little, either we were too swamped or just a little out of my reach. Or you uh, really came through, man. Try to help. Not even joking. You came through. <laughs> no sarcasm. No question. Just like I got you, Joel. I felt like it was a hug, a verbal hug. Yes, I got it. And you did. And we always have your back on strap buttons. Strap buttons. Five O is sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I know where our order is. All parts should have it. Anyways, we should wrap this up, guys. Uh, thank you so much for spending the time to talk to the people. And hopefully we'll have you back again sometime. So is thanks for listening, guys. Thanks thank for you. having us. Was there anything you wanted to say to your customers out there? Oh, yeah. Your, your Colo fans out there. Because there are a lot of people that absolutely love Colo's. Buy more Koalas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there you got us. Mahalo. All right, guys. We'll see you next week.